All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the Daily Faceoff Show. Your everyday source for the latest news with top-notch insight and analysis. Live every weekday at noon Eastern. Welcome into a December 13th edition of the Daily Faceoff Show. Where in the world is Frank Saravalli? Honestly, I don't know, but I'm Tyler Urumchuk, joined by Rachel Dory today. Rachel, pleasure to have you on the show again. Yeah, we're going to have some fun today. There's lots to talk about. Definitely no uh, shortage of topics today. No, not at all. So let's jump right into it and put two minutes and 30 seconds up on the clock and start with some breaking news from earlier this morning. The Calgary Flames are the latest team to have some games postponed due to a COVID outbreak. Their games through December 16th are going to be wiped off the schedule or have to be rescheduled, I should say. Six players, including Andrew Mangiapane, Elias Lindholm, Tanev Zadarov, a member of the training staff as well, all placed in COVID protocol. And... The interesting part for me right off the bat, Rachel, is earlier in the year, the NHL seemed to wait until the situation in Ottawa got a heck of a lot worse than this before they started canceling games. Do you like that maybe the league is taking a safer approach here with this one? I do. I mean, we're talking about a global pandemic here that isn't just affecting the NHL. We're talking about a new variant here, which I mean, by medical research says it's less dangerous than the Delta, but I think when you have something like this where it's highly transmissible and people are dying still i think it's always better to take the more cautious approach than the hey let's just not care about the safety of our players and continue trucking forward i think it was sort of a a mistake with ottawa and i'm happy to see that they have likely learned from that and so for me this this is absolutely the right decision i just hope that everybody in calgary uh 
speedy recovery and isn't too symptomatic. Yeah, and, and that's certainly something to keep an eye on if this might need to stretch longer than the games through December 16th. I just saw before we started the show, the New Jersey Devils are adding a few names onto the COVID list today as well. And there's also a situation down in San Jose that's brewing currently and uh, nothing yet on the Sharks front. But Rachel, that's likely due to the fact that the Sharks don't have to cross a border, correct? Yeah, so a lot of people were opining that the Sharks game should have been postponed. But realistically, the only logistical problem that is proposed that is a, a problem for scheduling is crossing the border. So if a team has to cross the border, specifically Canadian teams who play 50% of their home t- games in Canada, any player who has had COVID within the last 14 days cannot play. So you look at Brett Pesci and Tony D'Angelo, they were not eligible to play on the Western Road Swing because they had had COVID. And that is a huge logistical issue. I don't see Canada lightening up on that. So I think that we're going to continue to see that and teams in Canada are going to get postponed a little bit more quickly than the U.S. teams because of the government stipulations. Saw the tweet from Frank Saravalli, 17% of the league has now been through COVID protocol this year and we're what? 30% of the way through the schedule or something like that. Not great. And uh, speaking of not great, if you were really hoping for NHLers to be participating at the 2022 Winter Olympics, you might be feeling a little uneasy right now. Some reporting from over the weekend that the quarantine for athletes who would test positive while in China for the games could be anywhere from three to five weeks. And there's a few other wrinkles in there in terms of whether you're symptomatic or asymptomatic. Um, But Rachel, I mean, all summer I was sitting here excited at the possibility of seeing McDavid and McKinnon and Crosby play together and seeing what Team USA could put together. And now we sit here and I'm kind of going, man, I'm I'm actually feeling kind of pessimistic here. I'm I'm not sure if we're going to get NHLers at the games. Yeah, I would say it's probably 60-40 no at this point. You look at it and a positive test could lead to a three to five week quarantine in China. And um, the quarantine restrictions in China are a lot more stringent than they are in North America. An asymptomatic could be cleared with two negative tests 24 hours apart. But the problem you have is if you have COVID, you could test positive for up to three months after you originally have the infection. So it's possible that an asymptomatic person could be recovered and still test positive. And so I really don't see how that is even like a proper way of going about things. There's a drop dead date of January 10th without financial penalty. I think at this rate, we're looking at something that's pretty serious here. And if the if Beijing isn't and the Chinese authorities aren't willing to allow players to be medically evacuated out of China, which I don't see why they wouldn't, given that they would be off their plate at that point, I could see players kind of saying, well, I don't know if I want to miss five weeks, especially if they're some of the best players and then you become responsible for your team potentially missing the playoffs. Like imagine if Dreisaitl and McDavid both get caught in China. Yeah, I mean, Frank outlined that last week. Like if you're the Oilers, you're you're probably not very happy with the possibility of that happening. And speaking of the Oilers, I mean, Ken Holland was on After Hours this Saturday and he kind of said there's still a lot of players that would go. Darnell Nurse kind of made it sound like, yeah, he would go as well if he was given the chance, even with all finding out all of this. I, just quickly, as we wrap up the segment, the NHL is leaving this in the player's hand. It really feels like the NHL is not just going to drop the hammer and go, nope, you're not going. That's that's a little refreshing, though, isn't it, Rachel, that the NHL is not just kind of stepping over them? 
Yes, I, uh, I'm i a big fan of that. Let the players make the decision. It's kind of a you make your bed, you lay in it situation. And hey, you want to be in China for five weeks in a hotel room where you have to get food delivered to your door? By all means. <laughs> uh, let's get to uh, what happened on the ice this weekend. And we'll touch on a team that's lost five in a row. But first, the team that's won four in a row. They're Foren Boudreau since bringing in Bruce. Uh, Rachel, this Canucks team. They've beaten Carolina, Winnipeg, Boston, and LA. They've outscored those teams seven to three at five on five as well. Does this team have what it takes to actually get back in the playoff conversation, or is this just a little midseason feel-good story? I think this is probably a lot closer to a midseason feel-good story. Uh, I mean, the Pacific is a mess. Like it's a hot mess right now, and I do think with the Olympics, like we don't know what's gonna happen there. And so I look at it and I say this is a fantastic start, but inevitably, coaches are going to adjust to how the Canucks are playing under Boudreaux with video, and they're going to be able to plan for that. So I would expect that the Canucks will cool down a little bit. I don't think the Thatcher Demko goaltending is quite sustainable. He's been absolutely fantastic, but it is absolutely refreshing to see that. Brock Besser is playing much better. Elias Pettersson scored last night. He looks much better. And so for me, I think it's asking a lot for the Canucks to get back into the playoff race. But I do like that they at least look like they have life and that they're enjoying playing hockey again. Because it can be really tough to be in the dog days of a really poor season, especially if COVID is involved. You mentioned it looks like they're having fun. You also mentioned Brock Besser. Three goals for Besser since Boudreaux has come in. Bruce really has come as advertised, though, right? Like, this Canucks team is loose. Their star players are doing better. Like, Bruce Boudreaux, he's come in, and, I mean, maybe we should have expected it. I don't know if 4-0 should have been expected, but he's come in and been as advertised. Yeah, I mean, we talked about last week. I said, listen, he's going to lean on his star players, and he's going to play a little bit more offensively. They We want his players have fun and to succeed. And that is exactly what we're seeing. And I think when you look at the talent on Vancouver, you look at guys like Elias Pettersson and Brock Besser and Bo Horvat and JT Miller, Niels Hoaglander, Vasily Podkolzin. Those are guys that are offensive. And I think when you empower them to do what they are best at, you are going to see results and they're going to have more fun, which means they're going to be more bought in to what you as a coach are trying to accomplish which, I mean, is better for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Right now, the Canucks sitting six points out of a playoff spot, which doesn't seem that bad, but they played 29 games, which is a few more than most of the teams in that division. They get Columbus on Tuesday, then they're down in San Jose on Thursday before a Saturday night matchup against the Leafs. On the other side of this kind of spectrum is the Edmonton Oilers. And me being in Edmonton, there's a lot of Oilers fans sitting here as they lose five in a row going, well, the Canucks got a nice spark from their coaching change. Are we going to see one? I don't think it's at that point yet, but Rachel, does this Oilers team, like what could they do to shake things up? Okay, so five goals in the last four games is bad, especially when you consider you have two of the probably four best offensive players in the game. Uh, that's just unacceptable. You can't have it. Um, the goaltending has been less than fantastic, to say the least. They do have some injuries, and Darnell Nurse coming back is is good for them. But I, I just think there's not enough, like, secondary contributions. So if the big guys happen to get shut down, then you're really looking at almost nothing here. And that's kind of where we're at right now. 
um, with the Oilers, I think it's more on the players than anything else. You've got the injuries, of course. Um, I mean, we've talked about it ad nauseum. Like, that goaltending is just unacceptable. If I'm Ken Holland, I, you have to check in on Marc-Andre Fleury at this point. Yeah, and I mean, the tough part for the Oilers is they spent all their money. And the big problem here, they had a lot of money to spend in the offseason, and it goes away quickly when it's 5.5 to Duncan Keith, 4.5 to Tyson Berry, and you're still paying a guy like Miko Koskinen north of $4 million. So finding a way to make the money work in any sort of trade is going to be difficult for Ken Holland. But you mentioned it's the depth scoring for me that's uh, that that's really been an issue for them. And yes, Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl have slowed down a little bit. But you can go back through this losing streak and find games. The one against Seattle, if they get one goal from someone in the bottom six, they're at least getting a point there. You could almost say the same thing for the game against LA because they ended up giving up three goals on the five-minute major to McDavid. But if they get a goal at some point in that game from the bottom six, that game is totally different. Same thing against Boston when they lose by one. Same thing against Carolina when they lose by two. If they had just an ounce of depth scoring, and, and not even really depth scoring, but a guy like Kyler Yamamoto has been in the top six all year. He's not doing anything for this hockey team. So there's a handful of problems here. And I mean, the start was great. Connor McDavid touched on it after the most recent loss. He said, hey, that 9-1 start kind of gave us wiggle room to have a slump during the year, and they've burnt it now. This team really has to turn it around in a hurry. And, I mean, with Toronto coming up this week still in Edmonton, and then you got Columbus after that, if, if they don't pick up a win this week, I, I get the sense we might be seeing some, some pretty big changes in Edmonton, staying in the province of Alberta, but going south and talking a little bit about what we saw in Calgary with the Team Canada World Junior Camp. Let's get to the next wave with Chris Peters. Always a pleasure to have Chris Peters on the show. And Chris, we're going to be leaning on you a lot over the next month here as we talk a lot of world junior hockey. We'll have a Team USA preview coming up later in the week, a tournament preview next week. But today I want to drill down on Team Canada a little bit. Uh, Chris, the biggest surprise from what you saw yesterday in Team Canada naming their final roster? Well, you know, I think the biggest surprise for me was seeing Hendricks LaPierre not make the team. Uh, played NHL games this season with the Capitals, scored in an NHL game, you know, so usually those guys are, are pretty solid locks, uh, but to not have him on the roster uh, just goes to show how difficult it is to make Team Canada. And, you know, I think that they, they did all they could uh, in terms of building a team that has some balance to it. Um, but when you have a guy that, that's had NHL games, that's had some good experience, and even the last time that he wore the, the Canada jersey at the Polink and Gretzky Cup a couple of years ago, you know, he absolutely lit that tournament up. So, you know, he has a track record as well. So I think guys like that, it's tough to see. Luke Evangelista, who's had a great season with London, was another guy that I was a little surprised to not see end up making this final roster. Yeah, Chris, I'm right there with you with Hendricks Lapierre. I mean, I think I can, without naming names, point to a few players that I was rather eyebrow raised to see make the team over him. The one guy I wasn't surprised to make the team was Connor Bedard. He kind of forced Hockey Canada's hand with six points in two games. What are you expecting out of him? Because I mean, if this kid can play a big role, he always seems to show up at the big moments, doesn't he? He really does. You know, I got I had a chance to watch him and, and Shane Wright in Dallas at the under 18 Worlds last year, and I was blown away by what he's able to do with the puck. I've never seen anybody shoot the puck quite like 
Connor Bedard. And he, he said that he, he modeled his shot after Austin Matthews, but I think I, I saw Austin Matthews shooting pucks at the same age at 16 and he wasn't shooting them quite like Connor Bedard was uh, or is right now. So, you know, as far as what the role is going to be, that's going to be the interesting thing. As you see on my projected lineup, I've got him in the top six, because I think if you're going to have him on the team, you got to use him. You got to play to his strengths. He played with right a little bit at the world under 18s as well. And so, you know, to give him that opportunity, he can change the game with one shot, one play. Um, you know, I remember in the gold medal game last year at the under 18s, he scored one of the best backhanded goals I've ever seen, a backhanded goal from distance um, against Russia. And it really turned the tide of the game at that point and put Canada on their front foot. And I think that's what he can offer, even at the world junior level, even at a young age. Uh, but it does sound like he's going to have to earn his keep. He'll probably play on the wing. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's going to be really interesting to see what he can do. I, I personally would have him in the lineup as soon as possible. When you look at that top six, I mean, there's going to be no shortage of skill with this Team Canada group. And I guess a two-parter here to wrap things up. What do you view as sort of the biggest the biggest skill of this team, the biggest strength of this team? And on the flip side of that, what could maybe potentially be their downfall? What's an area that you'd consider a weakness? Yeah, well, you know, it's going to be interesting to watch because I'll start with the first part in terms of the thing that gives me a concern. And it is, you know, having eight left shot defensemen. I don't really mind handedness in terms of, you know, you, you pick the best players and you, you deal with the, the consequences. Otherwise, the guys that they're going to have play on the right shot, you know, that is going to be, um, you know, kind of interesting. They, they've got more skilled players like Lucas Cormier and Olin Zellweger who are playing on their offside. Skilled players can adapt to that a little bit more. They have a little bit better stick skill and, and, and puck work. And it does. they don't need that kind of balance on the handedness there. So that is the concern. In terms of strengths, goaltending is deep this year. I think it's always been a problem for Canada. It wasn't last year as Devin Levi emerged. But you look at Sebastian Kosa and Dylan Garand, I think either one of those guys could start. And really, Brett Brochu, uh, who plays for London, is a highly competitive goaltender. He doesn't have the size of the other two guys, but you've got three quality goaltenders that I think really could end up being the strength of the team. And I also really think this is down the wings on this roster. Look at the skill. Cole Perfetti, Kent Johnson, um, you know, Dylan Gunther, Bedard if he's on the wing, Stankovin, um, you know, and, and also you've got really good depth down center where you've got physical players like a Mason McTavish. You've got, uh, you know, Denoye plays with such energy in addition to skill. Um, you've got Maverick Bork, who's got a little bit of grit. Ridley Gregg is kind of going to be a guy that helps this team set their identity as a, both a skilled guy, but also one that plays the game really hard and with a good amount of grit. So I think that they've got a really nice balance to their forward group, but I'm going to be really interested to see how the goaltending holds up, because if that holds up, I think that they, you don't worry as much about the way that the defensemen are structured. You don't worry as much about the left shot, right shot conundrum. It's If the goaltending's there, you always have a chance in this tournament. And I think they've got some really great options in Kosa and Garand in particular. Um, and, and as Hockey Canada is saying right now, they don't know who's going to be the starter. Garand was on the team last year, Kosa. Uh, they both played really well in the WHL this season. So uh, it'll be something to watch for sure. Canada looking to avenge their loss in the gold medal game last year to Team USA. And we'll preview them a little bit later on this week. Chris, as always, it's a pleasure. Great to be with you. Thanks, guys. Always love getting a chance to chat with Chris. Let's move along now to our daily inbox question. Send them in, hashtag AskDFO, or hit us up 
and our Instagram at Daily Faceoff. A lot of Canadian hockey content on the show, Rachel. So let's move outside of the Great White North for our inbox question. A non-Canadian player that you're excited to watch at the World Juniors later this month. Ooh, I have two that like really, really excite me. The first one is William Eklund of Sweden. He played his nine NHL games. He looked like he belonged, four points. And then San Jose said, you know what? We're going to do the right thing. We're going to send you back to Sweden for, for some more development. I expect him and Alexander Holtz to be two of the premier offensive players in this tournament. And the other one I'm watching is Matvey Michkov, a 16-year-old for Russia, who, based on how Russia usually brings, like, forms their team, 16-year-olds don't even get a sniff. Maybe if you're an 18-year-old, you might. So a guy like Michkov getting a uh, a shot here, he's going to be in Bedard's draft. That's kind of the one-two punch there. He is sort of Nikita Kucherov, but better at a younger age. And I just think he's such a dynamic, exciting, offensive player. You watch him at the U18s. He was utterly fantastic. And so for me, I'm thrilled and just so excited to see what this player can do because he's going to be someone I think we're talking about for the next 20 years. I like that you brought up Team Sweden because that's where I'm going as well. I mean, between the pipes with Jesper Wallstedt, William Eklund, and Alexander Holtz. I mean, this is a guy who's playing at the American League level, putting up numbers against men. And I think he could be someone who goes into this tournament and just absolutely dominates as an experienced, mature player. Team Sweden definitely one to watch in this tournament. Uh, moving along, let's get to our daily best bet segment brought to you by our friends at PointsBet. Flames and Blackhawks canceled tonight, so there's no hockey to bet on. I'm going to take a look it's at some brutal. futures bets. It's brutal. Like, what am I going to do tonight? Anyways, uh, let's get let's get to it, courtesy of PointsBet. A couple of futures bets. They're always updating this over at their site. And I want to talk about a couple of specific trophies here, starting with the Vesno, where, as you can see, Andre Vasilevsky still holding on to that top spot at plus 500. But I am eyeing up that name right below him, Igor Shesterkin. Yes, he's injured right now. But the fact he's plus 200 lower than Vasilevsky on this doesn't make a ton of sense to me. I understand you need a lot of clout to win an award like this, but Chesterkin has a better save percentage, better goals against average, and he's not playing for the Tampa Bay Lightning either. He doesn't have Victor Hedman on his blue line. Granted, he does have Adam Box on his blue line. Chesterkin at plus 700. If you wanted to bet on the Vesna Trophy winner, I think that price is only going to get better or worse, I guess, depending on how you look at it. I like Chesterkin as the plus 700 futures bet to win the Vesna. And over with the Rocket Richard, that's the second trophy I want to take a look at today. Leon Dreisaitl, plus 175, big favorite, makes sense. He's currently leading the league in goals. Ovechkin right behind him at plus 300. But then at plus 500, it's Austin Matthews. And I think there is some value there. He's on an absolute roll right now with 11 goals in his last 10 games. You know, maybe a bit of a slower start to the year because of some injuries. But I think he could just continue to stay this hot. And we saw last year... He's capable of being around that goal a game mark for a fairly extended period of time. Austin Matthews at plus 500 to win the Rocket Richard. I absolutely love the value you're getting with that one. No games tonight, but a look at a couple of, of futures bets for our friends at PointsBet. And we'll be right back at it tomorrow as I put my 59-36-3 record on the line. Had a decent little weekend there splitting on Saturday. Got the over in the Leafs and Hawks. To wrap up the show, though. Rachel Dory, you got garbage time. What do you have? I'd like to see some changes. I'm in the last week we've seen two players stretchered off because of hits that are technically deemed clean, but to me it's really hard to square the fact that we are allowing hits 
that that result in players being stretchered off the ice. And so I'd like to see the NHL adopt the double IHF rule, which is it's okay to contact the head as long as it's not the principal point of contact and you're not going upwards with your motion. So Jacob Truba, Truba is an example. He contacts players with the head down, which under the double IHF rule is okay. Where it isn't okay is he finishes his hit with an upward motion towards the head. So instead, you would have to finish going forward, and that is okay. So I would like to see the NHL go that direction because I think it would fundamentally decrease the head injuries and it would really discourage players from headhunting. And so I think you put the onus on the hitter to kind of slow up a little bit. In Ryan Lomberg's case, his skates actually left the ice, which is textbook charging. And so I would like to see that because I really don't like seeing concussions or stretchers and I think if we're going to talk about player safety and actually take it seriously there's already a rule that's right there that we can just pick up and put in and I think it makes the game better because then we don't have to worry about guys being headhunted unless you would like a lengthy suspension and listen, this was a change that happened, I mean, over a decade ago when we had Rafi Torres running around in the playoffs, leaving his feet and running guys over. The NHL eventually got that out of the game and it was better for it. So I 100% agree with you here on the topic of Truba. Frank Saravalli said something on the DFO rundown along the lines of they're clean hits, but they're predatory hits. And I think a lot of people would agree. No one wants to see those in the game. Rachel, it was a pleasure getting to do the show with you today. You enjoyed the week and you enjoyed trying to fill a night with no hockey. Thanks for tuning in to another daily face-off show. Frank Saravalli's back in the big chair tomorrow. Thanks for watching the daily face-off show. Make sure you hit subscribe on our YouTube channel to never miss an episode. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. And let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal. Every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? 
but there's more. You gotta decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount, and that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's gonna find the back of the net first, and you're gonna wanna be careful, because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you gotta predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.